Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. All right, it's Wednesday. The world calls it the hump day, right? Getting over halfway through the week, right? In the kingdom, we just keep on thriving, though. (laughs) You know, the Bible's about a king his kingdom, and his royal offspring. And so um, as children, as king, we need to see ourselves as that. That's our DNA. Uh, That's who we are. But tonight, I want to talk to you about a kingdom subject um, called kingdom victory. Overcoming any obstacle. Kingdom victory. Oh, if we just abide by and live by the word of God, we could say the law of God. You know, any kingdom or government operates on laws. And thank God for that, because when you leave here tonight to go home, guess what? There's going to be lines on the street, yellow lines, white lines, right? There's going to be a thing called a speed limit. There's going to be a thing called lights. Yellow does not mean go really fast. (laughs) Hallelujah. You can say amen or oh me. (laughs) Hallelujah. Uh, I was driving with my girls as, you know, they're ones approaching, getting closer to 16. So you're starting to kind of, you know, train and tell them about, you know, the side mirrors, the rearview mirror. But I was telling about the lines, you know, the dotted line in the, in the middle of the roads means you can what? Pass. If it's solid, you have to what? Can't do it. Shouldn't do it. Why? Because they determine like on going to our house, there's, there's a corner that you have to take pretty sharp one. And the line is solid. Why? Because if you try to take that, you can't see what's coming. And that could be dangerous. Same thing with God. He has laws in his kingdom. 35 miles per hour is not a suggestion. The Department of Motor Vehicles is determined based on traffic flow, where it's at. This is a safe speed to travel. That's why you're not doing 65 in that area, right? Same thing with God. I'm just trying to relate. There's laws in God's kingdom that if we just do them, guess what? It's going to be a blessing and a benefit. If we don't do them, guess what? It's on us. God always, God's word always works. It's always active. It's always operative. It always produces. The thing is, are we, are we adhering to and walking out and obeying what the word says? So kingdom victory, overcoming any obstacle. Hallelujah. I want to read what my key verse is tonight, what the Lord laid on my heart. And then we're going to have a little appetizer. Cheese sticks and marinara chips and spinach artichoke dip hallelujah second samuel chapter 5 verses 17 through 25 second samuel chapter 5 verses 17 through 25 it says now when the philistines heard that they anointed david king over israel all the philistines went up to search for david and david heard of it and he went down to the stronghold The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perizim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of the place Bel Perism. 
And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord and said, um, and the Lord said, you shall not go up, circle around behind them and come up, up upon them in front of them of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so, so the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from uh, Geba as far as Jezer. Now, I want to stop right here and go to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll pick up with King David here soon. Matthew chapter 6. I want to go to the Lord's Prayer. I'm, I'm sure most of us could probably repeat this prayer. Most of us have heard the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. So it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory, both now and forevermore. I really want to key in on the first clause or the first thought that Jesus relates in the, the Lord's Prayer. And really, a rabbi, and that's what Jesus is considered, he's the Messiah, he's the king, but a rabbi is a teacher. In the Jewish culture, teachers would always uh, give a principle, then they'd expound on that principle. So Jesus is given a principle. Matter of fact, I don't think when uh, the, the Lord gave this prayer, and I'll call it a prayer pattern, because he says, don't be repetitive in praying, if you read the verses before it. So I think it's a great prayer, but each clause contains a pattern that you could pray. So our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? That's one clause within this pattern of prayer. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Another clause. It said, give us this day our daily bread, right? Another clause. That's provision in your life. Then it says, forgive us as we have what? Forgiven others. So you can see a building, right? It's not repetitive. You We're to walk in forgiveness. We're to believe God for daily needs being met. We want to see his kingdom come and his will be done, right? And then, you know, it ends with, you know, don't uh, give us into the hand of the enemy, but deliver us for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. I think a great thing of any prayer pattern is Jesus, when he gave this example, this teaching, this instruction, he started with praise and he ended with praise. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed it be thy name. And then he says, yours is the kingdom. He finishes it with, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So it's always right to praise God, uh, but it's always good for us, even when we're asking things, to come in with thanksgiving and leave with thanksgiving. You know, if your kids just come up to you and say, hey, you know, I need $15, Dad. You know, and they do that week after week, but there's no thanks right? How much more God the Father should we thank in him that we can come to him and get our needs met or whatever it is that we have need of, he will bring the answer and the solution. Amen. Now that first clause says, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So I want to look at the name of God, the names of God, and they're going to put this up on the screen for you. And as they do that, I'm going to dive into the names of God. The very first time Jehovah's mentioned in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 3. 
verse number 14. It wasn't used prior to this. Abraham knew God uh, as Elohim, but not as Jehovah, which tells us there is more to God. There's more revelation we can get of God will always be grown in the knowledge of God, right? So, but God explains, or I should say, reveals himself to Moses as Jehovah. So Elohim exhibits God's power displayed as the creator and the governor of the physical universe. Uh, But Jehovah designates his nature as he stands in relation to man as the one almighty, true, personal, holy being, a a spirit of, uh, of the father of spirits. Who revealed himself to his people, he made a covenant with them, and he became their lawgiver, and all worship and honor is due him. So Jehovah literally means, if you look this up in the Strong's, in the Hebrew, it just means self-existent or eternal one. But there's compound names that go with Jehovah. Since Jehovah is the covenant name of God, expressing personal relationship, it's natural that that name Jehovah will be compounded with other terms that identify and make specific his relationship towards us. All right, so Jehovah's self-existent and eternal one. So we see, first of all, we got Jehovah Mekiddish. He's the Lord who sanctifies. He sets apart, right? He, not only does he redeem us, but he wants us to live a consecrated life. And the Bible talks many times about uh, whether it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 3.11, baptism with fire, or uh, coming to the water, like in James 1, um, you know, where it says we look in the mirror, but we forget the perfect law of liberty. Uh, water cleanses, water purifies, right? And so he wants us to live a sanctified life. And he is Jehovah Mekedesh. He's also Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Hallelujah. He has provided the final cure. For all spiritual, physical, and emotional sickness in Jesus' name. So he is Jehovah Rapha. I'll say it again. He has provided the final cure for every spiritual, every physical, and every emotional sickness in Jesus' name. He is also Jehovah Rohi, the Lord my shepherd. What's a shepherd do? He guides and protects the flock. So you see how your prayer life can launch out and say, God, I thank you that you sanctify me. I thank you for your word that cleanses me. I thank you, Father, today that you are the healer. And I am well, I'm strong emotionally, I'm strong physically, and I got a strong spirit, man. You could also say, Lord, I thank you, you're my shepherd today. I thank you that as many as are led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. And then we go on, we see that he's Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there, or he's present. Like the psalmist said, the Lord is a very present help in a time of trouble. He's just not up on his throne. He poured out the Holy Ghost who resides in us, right? So he's always with us. The Bible says he will never leave you nor forsake you. When you're feeling lonely, when you're feeling down, when you're feeling discouraged, when you're feeling depressed, guess what? God is there, and you just need to draw upon him as Jehovah Shammah. He's also Jehovah Tiskanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Thank God it's not by works that you're saved, but it's by the grace of God in Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life on this earth. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. So he was out without blame, without blemish, and he laid down his life for us. He was basically the lamb of God that was slain, right? And so guess how we have righteousness before God? Through the, through the work of Jesus. And by staying in his word, like Matthew 6, says, seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then everything else will be added to you. The Amplified says his way of doing and thinking. Righteousness is his way of doing and thinking. He's also Jehovah Jireh. He's the Lord who will provide. He will meet all your needs. We know Philippians 419, my God shall what? Supply all of my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's also Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. What that really means, a banner is a signal of victory. You know, when you lift up your hands, whether your team scores, literally this becomes your banner, right? You're like, yes, they just scored, right? But their banner in the Old Testament also is a display of victory. So he is victory. And the last name I just want to cover, these are some of the names. Jehovah Shalom, he's the Lord, my peace. You don't have to have confusion. You don't have to have worry. You don't have to be stressed. Peace is calmness. It's tranquility. Hallelujah. It's not freaking out. Your emotions may be screaming, just like the disciples said, Lord, we're going to drown. He said, I am Jehovah Shalom, right? Peace. He spoke to the winds. He spoke to the waves, and they were peaceful, right? Peaceful just doesn't mean tranquility or calmness. It also means prosperity. It's hard to have peace when you don't have provision, (laughs) right? So those are some of the names that you can actually start uh, just to worship God with. You know, you can come into his presence with thanksgiving and his courts of praise, and you can thank him that he is this to you. Amen. But I want to, we're talking about kingdom victory, overcoming any obstacle. So I really want to hone in obviously on Jehovah Nisi, which the Greek word is Nikeo, which Nike stole. See law. There's some etymology for you as I almost knock over my notebook. But it means victory, victory. Nick. This lip is small for this podium, and my notebook's about to fall apart. But they can edit that out, praise the Lord. So back to 2 Samuel. We just heard about King David be anointed king. We heard the Philistines came against him twice, right? Both times he overcame the Philistines. But I want you to notice something because most believers will pray, Lord, I need breakthrough or I need victory. Situations happen, circumstances happen, but I want to tell you tonight there's a kingdom law we need to operate in if you're really going to experience victory. I think it's okay to pray for victory. But step number one, I'm going to give you four keys. Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm going to give you four keys tonight. First one is a thing called wisdom. Wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 through 4, I'm going to read two different translations. The New King James Version says it this way. Notice what it highlights in, in this verse. It says, through wisdom, what's the first thing said? Wisdom. Okay, f- track this. A house is built. By understanding, it is established. 
by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. You're never going to have a house without wisdom. You can have understanding, you can have knowledge, but you need wisdom first. It is the foundation for a successful life in Christ. You cannot build a house without a slab that's going to last, right? So wisdom is the first thing. Look how the Living Bible says this. It doesn't use wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, but we see the context in the New King James Version. It says, any enterprises built by wise planning become strong through common sense and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. So I want to go to Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 7, just to reiterate that wisdom was mentioned first in Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs 24, verse number 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Now, wisdom by uh, principle in that verse means the first thing. It's the chief thing. It's the best thing. It's the beginning thing. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the first thing. It's the chief thing. It's the best thing. It's the beginning thing. Wisdom is the first thing, the chief thing, uh, the beginning thing, and the best thing. So it says, get wisdom. Uh, It's the principal thing. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. This is a prayer that Paul prayed. And it says this, therefore... I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. What are we praying for? The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1, we're to pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. James chapter 1, verse number 5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, which we all lack wisdom, we got to keep going to the throne to get wisdom. If you're going to have victory, you need a thing called wisdom. It's the first key. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So wisdom is the first key. Out of wisdom, the second key comes a strategy. A strategy. What's a strategy? A strategy is a plan of action. Or it's the art of planning. So what are we asking God for? You are Jehovah Nisi. I thank you, Lord, for victory. I thank you for breakthrough. I ask you for wisdom in this situation. I come to your throne. And then guess what God's going to give you? We'll show you multiple examples tonight. He's going to give you a strategy. He's going to say, this is the plan of action. This is... This is the, he is the master planner. He's the master architect. He had the tabernacle in his mind and gave Moses the plan or the art of planning to build the tabernacle. When he said, I'm going to redeem mankind, guess what? He put a plan into action. He had a strategy and his name is Jesus. 
When he said, I want the church to have power, he put a plan in action, he, and he said, I'm going to pour out the Holy Ghost. So we need a strategy. If we do the strategy, and you know, faith has action to it. So when you pray for wisdom, God will give you a plan. And when you act on that plan, you're going to get a thing called victory. What's victory mean? It means a conquest. It means you win. It means you overcome an adversary or an enemy. And you know there's enemies out there. There's three type of people. There's those that celebrate you. There's those that tolerate you. And there's those that hate you. And that'll never change. There's always going to be somebody in those three dimensions of relationship. And the Bible says you can pray for wisdom to get a strategy to get victory over any adversary or any opponent or anything that comes against you. But God's ultimate aim, we think victory is what God's aiming for. No, the fourth key is this. God wants to let, he wants you to live in glory. Glory. So you pray for wisdom, for a strategy to get the victory so you could live in glory. Let me define, um, I need to go back to the first key real quick and define wisdom for you. And then I'll jump back to glory. Wisdom is this, is skill. Skill. These are definitions between the Old and the New Testament, looking up wisdom in both of those references. It's also the faculty of readily discerning and distinguishing ideas and separating truth from falsehood. Lord, is that your plan or is that my plan? It said many are the thoughts of a man, but it's the Lord's plan that will stand. So we, we, you need to get quiet enough. Psalms 46.10, be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted. You got to get still enough to get your mind quiet and listen to your spirit. All right? So, and what, what, that, what happens when you do that, you can separate truth from falsehood. Wisdom also means this. It, it implies caution in deliberating and consulting on the most suitable means to accomplish valuable purposes. Deliberating and consulting on who you consult in God. And he's going to give you the most suitable means to accomplish uh, valuable purposes. If you don't get anything else for wisdom on definitions, this is what I want you to remember. Divine or supreme intelligence is wisdom. It's divine or supreme intelligence. Now back to glory, because God wants you to pray for wisdom, to get a strategy, to get the victory, to live in glory. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse number 18 says, but we with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. You're only changed by how you behold the Lord. How do you behold God the Father? And you're going to be changing that. We've got to see him through the word, not through what maybe you've heard prior. Maybe what, you know, aunt so-and-so told you or your friend told you. You've got to behold God in truth. And as you behold him, 
you're going to be changing that same image from glory to glory. Glory means this. It means splendor. It means brightness. It means magnificent. But it also gives a picture of this, especially in the Old Testament, it means weight. Weight. So I'll say it this way. A rose, the seed form of it is not the glory. The glory of a rose is when it's in full bloom. Are you with me? So your life submitted and committed to Christ, operating in wisdom, strategy, victory, is going to give the full weight. What am I saying? When, and pastor says it this way. Uh, it's just not about excellence. It's about fullness. And that's really what gl- glory is, is fullness. You're, you're manifesting the power and the presence of God in your divine assignment. And there's a weight to you. When you walk into a room, there's a presence about you. When you walk as, as a husband, if you walk into the house at night, if your wife says, oh, you're home. There's no glory in that. It should be your home. Praise the Lord. Deal with this, 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 this. Because there's a presence about you, right? Your job that you go to, right? Is there a glory? Do you carry a weight when you go into the job? A presence. The character, the conduct, the power of God, right? So it's the glory. And God wants to take you from glory to glory. It's a weight. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse number 16. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and weight of glory. See, the things you're going through, I said this on Sunday a little bit. I'll, I'll revisit it if you weren't with us on Sunday. Uh, there's some things you cast off immediately. If you're sick, you can get it off now. But there's some things that God brings your way that's going to be resistance, or there's some things the devil may bring your way that's um, going to test you or try you. And God's not so much like the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, which I quoted on Sunday. He, he first prayed. He said, Lord, I want victory in this situation. Get me out of it. And God said to him, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made strong in your weakness. And Paul said, I'd rather glory in that grace then, right? And so any affliction you're going to, don't let it get you bitter, let it get you better, right? And let it bring the fullness out. If you don't pass the test, it is not the Florida educational system where they're just, God just passes you eventually. The children of Israel walked around the same mountain for a long time, Right? But in order to get to another level, another dimension of glory, you got to pass the afflictions or the tests, right? And God wants you to go from glory to glory. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 26, it says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. It goes on to say in Genesis 1:28 that he, he blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion. But it says we're creating his image. Is God full of glory? So as his kids, he wants us to be full of glory, right? So when you're walking out your purpose, your assignment, 
uh, and you have faith, you got the anointing for it, you're doing the plan of God, uh, you're going to not only have victory, but you're going to have glory. Back to 2 Samuel chapter 5. I'm going to read this again just to really etch it in your mind and your heart and then kind of break out some points from this. It says, now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. Notice when David was anointed king, it's, they didn't say, oh, he's a bad man. We're going to run from him. Right? Uh, some believers think, you know, when I give my life to, the, to God, I'm never going to have any problems. <laughs> Everything's going to be great. I'm just going to be tiptoeing through the, uh, you know, the tulips on a flowery bed of ease. Right? No, when they heard that David was anointed king, are you anointed? Guess what? It, it drew some enemies. And they went up to search for David. But David heard of it. He went down to the stronghold. And guess what? Just because he took off, the Philistines went where he went. And they deployed themselves in the Valley of Rephraim. So here's the key, though. David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. He said, shall I go up against the Philistines? Now, inquired means this. It means to, to ask. It means to discover, to, to seek out. But it also means this. There's, there's an implication of, he kind of demanded God, I want to go. And I feel like that's some attitude that believers need is, I'm ready. You ever heard the, the saying, pick your fight wisely? But I think you kind of need to be, be like the Hulk, just angry all the time. No, not angry all the time, but ready to go. Not angry, but ready to fight. And I feel like David in his mentality for God, his position in life, he was always ready to say, Let, bring it on. What do you got? But he inquired, he said, God, do you want me to go against them? And listen to what, he, what was he really asking for? He was getting the wisdom of God for the strategy to get the victory so he could have glory. So he said, will you deliver them in my hand? The Lord said, yeah. He said, go up. Now look at those words, go up. That means face to face. This was a frontal attack. He said, you're going to go head to head with them, face to face, eye to eye. And that's how you're going to approach this battle. So what did David do? He just didn't run off and say, the Lord's with me. I'm going to win. First, he asked God, what do I do in this situation? What is, your, what, what, what is the direction? What is the wisdom? What is the plan that you have for me so I can get victory, Father? And God said, it's going to be a frontal attack. I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went and he defeated him there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies like the breakthrough of water. That means there was a wall in his way and it burst, right? People say, give me breakthrough, Lord. Give me breakthrough. David's saying, you are the Lord of the breakthrough. But first thing I asked for was, should I fight this? How am I supposed to do it? It's going to be a frontal attack. Then he went and he experienced God's victory and he called that place the Lord of the breakthrough. So he overcame the Philistines. Guess what? Are you only going to have one trial in life? Even Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil in Luke chapter 4, uh, 
you will see if you read it very close that it said the devil left him for an opportune time. So we see one temptation recorded, but there was more than one temptation. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points like we are. He felt the way you feel. He probably wanted to slap some people. Right? I mean, everything that you can imagine, he went through, but he stayed pure. He stayed righteous. He stayed holy before God. And 1 Corinthians 10 says, God will make a way of escape out of any temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He's making a way of escape. Anything that tries to come against you, God always has a plan. The thing is, you got to tap into his wisdom. Act on the plan to get the victory. But Jesus, the Bible says we, are, we should be as he was in this earth. And he lived a pure life before God. He dealt with all the emotions. He dealt with the frustrations. He, he dealt with everything imaginable, but he stayed pure and he stayed right. So we read on. David had a, a great victory. He called the place the breakthrough. It, it burst through. And, he, and then he, he took their images, and David and his men carried them off. But then, get this, the Philistines went up again. So they said, we got beat the first time, but we're going to come around again. So guess what David didn't do? He just didn't say, well, the Lord did this the last time, so I'm just going to run out and do it the same way the next time. God wants every believer to live in, in victory and the touch is always the same, but the method may change. The result will always work, but the method by which the result, you get to the result may change. So God, he says, and listen to the, listen how David lived his life. It said, he inquired of the Lord. And he said, uh, shall I go up? And the Lord said, you shall not go up. This time circle around behind them. And come upon them in front of the mulberry trees, and it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For the Lord will go before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba to Gezar. That was about nine miles. He said, this time I'm going to go a little bit more. You want some of this? Come get some. But the key in this is he said, instead of going in front this time, he went behind. He went around. So I want to give you a few examples just in practical uh, living every day of how does this work in your life, right? The four keys. Wisdom for a strategy to get the victory to live in glory. Wisdom, strategy, victory, glory. Just some general battles in the Old Testament, then we're going to get on to something else. In Jericho, they had an enemy there that they had to overcome, right? But Joshua got the word of the Lord. He got the wisdom of God. He said, God, what is the plan for this? What is the strategy? You can find this in Joshua chapter 6. And God said, what? You're going to go ahead. Here's what you're going to do. Here's the word of the Lord. Here's the strategy to get the victory. You're going to march around that city for six days. On the seventh day, you're going to march around, but then you're going to blow the trumpet and those walls are going to come down. 
Could it be you're missing out on victory because you're walking around the city five times and blowing the trumpet on the sixth day instead of the seventh day? Are you following the plan of God? Right? Moses in Exodus chapter 17, they were fighting the Malachites. Uh, verses 9 through 13 says this, Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, uh, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone, put it under him, him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated the uh, uh, Amaleks and his people with the edge of the sword. Victory in this way was not walking around. It was holding up hands. How's that relate to you? Right? Sometimes you just need to praise your way through it. Right? Sometimes God's going to have you do some action for some things to get the victory. But sometimes he may say, just lift your hands that situation. Just to acknowledge me in it. The psalmist said that the, the mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. Another psalm says that uh, the Lord inhabits the praises of his saints. So you got a mountain, and when you start praising, it's like it just melts through your praise, right? But specifically, here's an example provision. How does God provide? Some of us are praying, Lord, we need provision. Right? And does God want to provide? He's Jehovah Jireh. We saw that. He's the Lord provide. But what's the wisdom for the plan, the strategy to get the victory financially, to live in glory. In Matthew chapter 14, here's one way that Jesus provided. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. When Jesus heard it, he departed there from boat to a, des a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus saw a great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, this is a deserted place. The, uh, the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy uh, themselves food. So the disciples' thought was, get them out of here, Lord. They need food. Send them to a local place so they can buy their own stuff. But that's not the way that Jesus wanted to provide it in this situation. So, Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat, which I'm sure they were doing backflips in their mind, thinking, how are we going to do that? And they said to him, we only have five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and two fish Looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. The disciples gave them multitudes, so they all ate and were filled. And they took up the 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So Jesus knew the answer for victory to get glory in this situation. But the wisdom of God said, you're going to go ahead and praise me, and you're going to speak to what you do have. Some people say this, Lord, I don't have enough. I want to do more, but I just don't have God saying, thank me for what you do have. The miracles there in your house, instead of complaining, getting down, thank God for what you do have. 
give him praise for it and say, thank you, Lord, for multiplying what I do have. There's one way of provision. Now, in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, it says this, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel and Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. They said, um, and Peter said, I'm going out to fish. That was Peter's occupation. He was a fisherman. So Peter's going to work. Hallelujah. I'm going to get to marriage here in a minute. I was just thinking, no job, no marriage. Peter went to work. So a candidate, ladies, for a husband is a man that works. Hallelujah. So Peter went to his occupation and, and he said, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood there on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? They said, no. And then he said this, here's the wisdom for the plan. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of a large number of fish. When they listened to the wisdom of God and acted on what he said, it's just not enough that God said, do this. And then they, they did what he said. And then they got victory with a, a load, a catch of fish, right? And it brought the glory. When I was working for Nelson Nissan Mazda in Broken Air, Oklahoma, as a car salesman, Mr. Nelson is a, is a spirit-filled believer. He used to write at Christmas time on the front windows, Jesus is the reason for the season. So he was a bold uh, in his faith, right? But he was also a second-generation car salesman, meaning his dad founded the business, and he, his dad got out of it, and he was taking over. But with that business, he wanted to expand, not just to expand for his self, although the hose always gets wet. Do you understand what I'm saying? God, on his end, it's like a hose, man. His spigot is, never runs out of water. The water flows through that thing and it comes out on the other end, right? And the only reason sometimes we don't have finances is because we get a kink in our hose. And God's still trying to have the spigot come on his end, but we got to make adjustments through wisdom. But he wanted to expand the business and grow it. The problem is he had not established himself with the bank. So his parking lot was small in capacity and there was a lot behind him that was for sale. And he thought, Lord, in order for me to grow the business, I need more parking. Now, there was a fence that uh, gave the boundaries for his current property. Uh, behind that was a lot for sale. Went to the bank. The bank turned him down. So what did he do? He did like King David. He went and inquired of the Lord. Lord, I know you want me to expand this business. The bank is, is not budging. They will not loan me the money. He said, what is your plan for this, God? You know, God didn't say, pack it up, it's done, it's over. There's no hope. 
You know what God told him? Now, I'm not saying God's telling you this. You've got to understand what God's telling you. I want to make that emphatically clear. This is what God told him. God said, I want you to get a sledgehammer. I want you to go out. I want you to knock some of that fence down. So in obedience to the wisdom, he acted on that plan, which in man's eyes probably seems foolish. He went and he knocked a part of that fence down. The bank called 24 hours later and said, hey, we reconsidered. If he never would have had to knock the fence down, the bank would have never reconsidered. Provision. Jacob, in Genesis chapter 31, verses 10 through 13, he gave the uh, overview summary of what he had been walking through. Obviously, Laban had treated him wrong, changed his wages 10 times, if you read the story. Um, you know, so he wasn't a righteous employer. See, so you're not the only one, maybe, that's uh, been employed by somebody that doesn't treat you well. Does that mean you quit? No, he served him faithfully. And if you serve faithfully, guess what? God's always going to bring you out on top. If you do it the right way, if you're murmuring and complaining and coming home and downloading, they suck. I don't like them. Crying, spitting, snotting. Right? You got to get your, keep your mind right. God's never going to work with you in that. He's waiting for you to get your attitude right. Right? But if you handle it the right way, guess what? God will always bring you through on top. And listen, Laban didn't treat Jacob. Well, he changed his wages 10 times, and they weren't merit increases. They were decreases, right? But God, in the middle of that, this is how he said, I'm going to provide for you. He gave Jacob a dream about speckled, spotted, and street cattle which seems weak in Laban's eyes, not like the strong cattle that he has. But God gave him wisdom for a plan to get the victory, to ultimately live in glory. So you see how God's ultimate end is always for you to live in glory. We pray for a victory, but are you asking God for wisdom, his wisdom for the plan? Joseph is another one. Joseph uh, had a dream from God, told it to his brothers and his dad. Obviously, they didn't listen favorably to his dream. His brothers got upset and jealous, right? They sold him into slavery. Um, he went through 13 years of turmoil. Um, he went from Potiphar's house as a slave to the prison, wrongly accused of rape, so he got thrown in prison. But from the prison, guess what? He went to the palace. And the only reason I know he got there is because in Genesis 50, it gives us insight that it said what you meant, talking to his brothers, what you meant for bad, God is working for good. So the, obviously there was forgiveness because I know he wouldn't got that far if he was harboring resentment and, and bitterness towards his brothers. So he forgave them. And he actually saw God's bigger plan and not their little moment of flesh. But in that, guess what? God put him on the scene for a reason, to save a whole nation. And God, God uh, gave Joseph, if you read the Bible, the wisdom. Even, even Pharaoh said, can we find a man on who the spirit of God, the wisdom of God is like Joseph? Because Joseph 
told him what the dream was that, that Pharaoh had had, said, listen, there's going to be seven years of plenty, then there's going to be seven years of extreme famine. All the famine's going to suck up all the plenty. So here's what you need to do. And he had the wisdom of God. He said, you need to, Joseph had the wisdom to save in the plenty so that when the famine came, they had more than enough. So that's what provision, healing, healing. In John chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, it says, when he had said these things, Jesus, he spat on the ground and he made clay with the saliva. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said, go wash in the pool of Shalom, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. You notice in this instance of healing that Jesus put mud on his eyes and then told him to go wash. Now, do we just do that to anybody? No, you need the word of the Lord. You need the wisdom of God for the plan. Does God, is he always Jehovah Rapha? Yes, but how does the healing come? Right? In Luke chapter 1, verses 40 through 41, it said a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down him and saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, touched him. So how did he do it? He touched him. And he said, I am, uh, I am willing to be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So one man, he put mud on his eyes, told him to go wash. This other one, he just laid hands on him and commanded it. So what is God saying? What is the plan for healing, right? In 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, this is a story about Naaman. It said he went with his horses and his chariot and he stood at the door of the prophet's house. The prophet sent a message to him and said, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Prophet didn't even come out. He said, just go tell him to go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you. It shall be clean. Now, Naaman got mad at first. He said, that's a dirty river. I got better cleaning rivers back home. And as his messenger had enough sense to say, you know, if he came out and, you know, basically waved a wand over you, wouldn't you just receive it basically? Why don't you just go wash and see what happens? So he went and dipped seven times and he was, he came, he came out cleansed, right? I remember when we were going to Bible school at Ramah uh, from, in 2000, we had, um, our dean at that time was Gary Kraut, which he's been here a few times, amen. It's somebody, it's a missionary that we support every month from this church. But I remember a um, great man of God, he, uh, left Raymond, went in Pioneer, uh, Pioneer Church in Iowa. Then he went on the mission field in Haiti, uh, came back to Raymond, was a dean there for a few years, went to um, overseas and um, I think it was, was it China or no? Bangkok? No, there was some other place. Thailand. Went there. Then he went to China after that. Came back, was a dean a little bit longer, went to uh, China after that. Praise the Lord. He's been living for the Lord for decades. But I remember he told us a story when he was, I think he was on the mission field and he, and he was having these pains in his side, sharp pains. So he went, to, he went to God and he said, Lord, what is going on? I need to be healed. You know what God told him? This is what God told him. So this doesn't go for everybody in this room if God's not saying it. God said, you're cut out the Diet Coke. You're drinking too much Diet Coke. So you know what? He could have prayed for healing. God could have healed him. Then he starts drinking some more Diet Coke. Guess what? The pain comes back. So it's like 
you know? Something wrong with your thumb, thumb gets healed, and you take a hammer and hit your thumb. <laughs> Just go through the, the cycle of stupidity. Right? But that was him. Now, does that mean everybody should stop drinking Diet Coke? Okay. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Some of you are convicted. Convinced not to drink Diet Coke. Hallelujah. I remember when Bobby Nelson uh, was supporting a missionary who came back off the field. Same owner I talked about earlier, the car dealership. And they came back and um, they were having some real challenges and they were in the hospital. Uh, he went in, I think it looked like jaundice or something. He said his face was yellow, his eyes were sunken in. And, uh, you know, they're like, in Jesus' name, be healed. In Jesus' name, he's sitting there going over scripture with him. They're praying. And uh, you know what Bobby Nelson got in his spirit for that man? He said, you know what the Lord just told me for you is rest. And I'm not talking like he's already in a hospital bed because they're trying to diagnose him, but mentally. You're worrying. You're anxious. So in that prayer time, I mean, they start confessing. And we always want to run the word. They start confessing the word. They're taking time together. But taking time together. But as they're praying, it rose up in his spirit. This is, the, this is the wisdom of God. Tell him he needs a rest in his mind. He needs to cast his cares. And the next day, his health had improved dramatically. So what, what is the wisdom of God saying for healing, right? For provision. Hallelujah. Let's close with marriage. Hallelujah. Lord, I need victory in this marriage. Changer. <laughs> Lord, I need victory in this marriage. In Jesus' name, I change him. Shazam. <laughs> you know what God's going to tell you most of the time? Change you. <laughs> Quit looking at the uh, beam or the speck in, 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 his, in your spouse's eye and look at the beam in, in yours. Amen or oh me. <laughs> but that's what most people pray. You're having trouble. Lord, I'm just change her, change him. You got to do something. They're driving me crazy. That old ball. <laughs> that old lady. Don't ever call. I pray we have enough sense more than not drinking even Diet Coke to not call your wife an old lady. I'll slap you. <laughs> and then ask her forgiveness later. <laughs> Just because I love you. Hallelujah. Don't test me. Um, <laughs> but you're having problems, right? So how do you overcome? You need wisdom. God, what is, your, what is the wisdom of God in this? Obviously, there's strain. There could be division. There could be disunity, right? Um, it could be just not the fullness. You, you know, it's going good, but I know, Lord, there's a whole nother level because God just doesn't want you to have some victory in your marriage. He wants to get you to a glorified marriage. Remember, it's a weight. So when people see you, it's just not about your marriage. It should be so good that they're like, man, how can I get that with us? Because God, he gives you so much, it overflows, Right? Even health and, man, how come you never get sick? It's the weight. How come you always got provision? How come your marriage is, 
thriving. Right? So what do you need in your marriage? There's wisdom, right? You need for a plan. Uh, In our men's ministry on Monday night, one of our books uh, talked about a, a missionary that was um, out on the field and his wife and him, they, he could just feel the division getting more and more, you know, it's, it's, it, it's like, you know, uh, just getting further and further the distance. There's, um, touchiness, there's frustration, there's shortness and com- communication, right? There's anger towards one another. And I'm, you know, the book didn't say, but I'm sure he's thinking, you know, Lord change her, right? But he's wrestling with all this in his mind and, uh, they're sleeping one night. They have an infant. Um, the baby cries. In his normal pattern, when the baby cries, you ready for this? He act like he was sleeping. So his wife could take care of the baby. But do you know what God told him? As he's praying about this in the middle of the frustration, uh, he's, Lord, I need wisdom in this. What's the plan? And God said, when the baby cries... You get up. Tell your wife I'll handle it. So he started doing that. I believe it was within a month. All of a sudden, he noticed that her words started to get kinder to her. She even started to uh, change the way she dressed a little bit. And, um, you know, and all of a sudden their marriage started to mend. Because he he had the plan of God, right? Some of you. It could be, you know, words, right? How do you speak to your spouse? Maybe the lack of communication or the intensity of communication. I'm just giving examples, right? You got to go to God on that and say, Lord, if I'm going to have a glorified marriage, what do I need to do? And God said, maybe you need to soften your tone, your touch and your methods. Maybe you need to learn the art of listening. Hallelujah. God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you should do twice as much listening as talking. One thing we learned at Bible school is you already know everything you know, so be quiet and learn something. Right? But it could be the art of listening. It could be you're too quiet. Proverbs 13, 17 from the Living Bible says reliable communication permits progress, but an unreliable messenger causes a lot of trouble. So the man comes home, the woman says, how was your day? And the man says, good, fine. You've been gone for eight hours and you got one adjective to describe eight hours. If you don't know this, men are headliners and women are fine print. which means they want details, right? And so maybe the wisdom is take some notes throughout the day, jot some notes down on your phone so you can remember. You know, when God created men and women, he, uh, w- when uh, the testosterone flows into the man it's, and, uh, and how the way the man's built, it severs. Uh, the left side from the right side. So man only uses one side of his brain, but the woman sees, uses both sides of her brains. Actually, the average man's brain is about 10 to 11% bigger than a woman. And the woman asks, why doesn't he use his brain? But because of the difference, because a woman thinks out of both sides and the man only thinks out of one side, they see everything in a grid, but a man is linear, A to B. 
How was your day? It was good. And then she's trying to ask some more questions. Well, did you get the contract you were working for? I did. How much was it? It was a lot. Next question. Why are you nagging me? Oh, why are you riding me? Hey, if you don't talk to her, she'll find somebody else. Hallelujah. So you get what I'm saying. The wisdom of God say, maybe you need to listen more. Maybe you need to talk more, right? It could be an act of service, right? It could be, it could be gifts. Last story I'll close with is this. Um, another story out of Ed Cole's book that the men's use on Monday night, but there was another marriage that was uh, on the rock, so to speak, you know, and it was not functioning as it should be. And so this gentleman was praying, how can I, Lord, uh, win her back? So the wisdom God gave him for the plan was, I want you to leave. Don't tell her, but I want you to leave her a note. Put it in a place where she'll have to find it, like a sock drawer or, you know, a cabinet, you know, leave it in different places. So this is the wisdom of God. So I'm not saying you have to be copy this pattern to win your marriage back, but you need to pray and say, God, how can I get, how can I get to the victory so we can live in glory, right? So... God said, I want you to do this every day. And I, I think it was at least 30 days. And I think it even went longer than that. But uh, so what happened is he didn't even tell her anything. He just started leaving notes in random places. But what happened on the other side, because you're, you're getting the other side of the story, is uh, about, I think, about a weekend or whatever, she started getting up with excitement knowing he left me a note somewhere. But they both weren't saying anything to each other. But it, what was it was refiring or rekindling how the marriage should operate. Man, we should have the greatest life on the planet. John 10, 10 says he came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. But for anything in the word of God, we looked at different names of God, of provision, of healing, of peace, you know, of, um, you know, in the marriage covenant, whatever it is that you need, pray for wisdom, for a strategy to get the victory so you could live in glory. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And thank you that you're for us today, Father. And that you want it to go well with us, Father. And you want us to overcome and to live in glory, Father. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com. 